This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. See from the outline that, and from the sermon title, that it has to do with uh, clean and unclean, you know, clean hands, dirty dogs, and it may feel like, okay, what does this have to do with us in uh, modern day Singapore? Well, how many of you did not brush your teeth before you came to church? How many of you did not, you know, wash your face, get out the, you know, the dirty stuff from your eyes, you know? I mean, most of us, I hope, did that. Okay, we were going to come and be in a public place, and in a sense, we were trying to get rid of the uncleanness before we met other people. Because to come to church and be in public unclean would be, you know, a bit embarrassing and a bit unacceptable. And so the issue here, um, the first episode that we're told in Matthew's Gospel, is this whole system of what is considered clean, what is considered unclean, what is considered acceptable uh, in coming before God, what is considered acceptable so that you can take part in the rituals and the ceremonies of worshipping God. Uh, So it is uh, very relevant, and I pray that as we hear from God's word today, uh, God will do that work in our hearts. Let's, uh, Let's look to him and ask that he do this. Father, this is not something irrelevant or redundant. Father, in your kindness, you've given us this word, and in, in essence, it goes to the heart of the issue. So please enable us to hear, to hear with faith and to respond rightly. This word that you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now there is something significant about the passage here. This uh, interchange that Jesus has with the Jerusalem leadership, these Pharisees and teachers of the law that came from Jerusalem, it is his last great encounter, doing something, saying something in Galilee. Jesus has been ministering up north in Galilee, and this will be the last time in Matthew's Gospel that he does this. From now on, he will then go a bit north uh, to some other place, but then he's going to be heading down towards Jerusalem. So this is his last great encounter, last teaching in Galilee. So what happens is this uh, very high elite uh, Pharisees, teachers of the law, because they come from Jerusalem, they come and they are here to check Jesus out. Okay, this uh, rabbi that has been doing miracles and you know teaching and gathering people. And then they notice, hey, how come he don't, and he and his disciples, they don't wash their hands before they eat? Now, uh, please don't blame Jesus' mother or the disciples' mother. Oh, you know, such bad mothers never teach them about washing their hands before they eat. Okay, it's nothing to do with that, okay, because it's not an issue of hygiene. Okay, because you see that they refer to the tradition of the elders. Okay, so this is some oral tradition that has been gathered up in the past. Okay, and okay, the, the way I like to think of it is the Bible clearly taught that there are clean things, unclean things. Okay, so if you become unclean by touching a, a dog or a dead body or mildew or you know, something like that, 
then you are not allowed to take part in the ceremonial uh, rituals, uh, worshipping God. So there are things that make you unclean. So the, the, the pious Jew, they will come to the rabbi and say, Hey, uh, rabbi, rabbi, just now I saw you know, the, the fruit seller, before he handed me the fruit, he was touching his dog. And then he didn't wash his hands, and he held onto the fruit, then he passed it on to Abraham, my neighbor. And Abraham didn't see that. And Abraham took the fruit, and then he ate it. He didn't actually touch the dog, but the, he ate the fruit that the fruit seller touched the dog with. Does that make him unclean? And then the rabbi, well, they got together, and then they discussed, discussed. And so all this, you know, the wisdom from all these rabbis were collected, and so it became this tradition of the elders. And by the time of uh, Jesus, there were 4,000 words of instructions governing the washing of hands. Because you go into the marketplace, you brush against this, brush against that. Who knows where that cloth has been, what that cloth has touched. So there's this elaborate ceremony of how you must wash hands. You know how high you should wash, how you should wash it, you know where the water should come from. Because there's this uh, desire that they should keep themselves clean in order that they can participate in the worship of God. And so to their horror, Jesus and their disciples do not wash their hands according to the tradition of the elders. Jesus' reply is, in verse 3, <laughs> I break the command of the, the elders. What about you? Right? You break the command of God for the sake of your tradition. For your tradition. And then Jesus brings up this other tradition that they have. And it can be a bit confusing. Okay, but what is clear is the word of God teaches you must honor your father and mother. But what the tradition of the elders have taught is you can actually take your money, you can put it into this special savings account, and you can label it devoted to God. And the money that is in this savings account, you do not have to give to your parents. Okay, so one way of honoring father and mother is when they are old and when they're in need of our care, you know, the faithful and obedient child should, you know, should care for them financially. But then, if this money has been put into this account that is labeled devoted to God, then I have much less and I can give you very little. And so, in a way, I'm escaping my responsibility of caring for my parents. And the funny thing is, through some legal loopholes, the money that is in the account devoted to God, I can use for myself. Okay, so this is Jesus looking at them and saying, you break, see the word of God, what the word of God clearly says, you break it by elevating and trying to keep your human traditions. Now I wonder if, now I'm, I'm sure none of us do this, right? There's no account that we can say, okay, devoted to God. Okay, we don't do it this way. But I wonder what is it in our lives where in trying to, you know, exalt and keep some human teaching, we end up playing down, disobeying the word of God. So we uh, thought about this at Bible study. And someone said, oh, you know, maybe sometimes when you are a worker or you're a student, you have this idea that, okay, yes, you want to glorify God with your work, you want to serve God with your studies, and then you put a lot of effort into 
into keeping this human rule. I mean, in one sense, yes, we should do that. But so much effort goes into glorifying God at work, you know, serving God in my studies that we end up neglecting and nullifying other parts that the Word of God clearly tells us we have responsibility towards. So this is not something that is, you know, just, okay, you know, that's what they did then. It applies to us. And the heart of the issue is the Pharisees, they wanted to worship God, but they got so caught up with the externals. They got so caught up with, you know, the, the outside, the, you know, what was uh, on the external, that their religion just became human legalism. Their religion had a lot of form. Hey, this is what we should do. You know, we should maybe read our Bibles, you know, 30 minutes, you know, uh, before breakfast, you know, had a lot of form. But there was no substance to it. And the reason for that, hey, Jesus identifies the problem in verse 7. He calls them, you hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is just someone who is acting, just playing a game. They had a real devotion. They really wanted, but then there was something about what they did that made them, in the end, just play acting. In the end, he quotes Isaiah and says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Okay, I hope you can see the danger that Jesus is warning us about. Because it is so easy, so possible, to be caught up with the external things of faith. But turns out that our hearts are actually far from God. So easy to be putting effort into a ministry. So easy to be, you know, trying to, you know, get this up and running. You know, we want to see the people coming and, you know, want to be organizing this. But our hearts could be far from God. Nothing deadens the soul as much as just fooling around, playing around with the external things of religion. So Jesus calls the crowd to him and he says, he gives a parable. He says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Now Jesus will explain this parable, but before that his disciples come in, uh, in verse 12 and they say, hey, you offended those guys. You know, this, this, this uh, religious elite from Jerusalem, you have offended them. And then Jesus says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. See, again he gives another parable, but I think this parable is clear to us. He is saying, this religious elite, they are not part of the kingdom. They are not the plants that uh, the Heavenly Father has planted. They are the wheat that the enemy has thrown in. And they will be pulled out. They will be shown for what they are. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead, the blind both will fall into a pit. Jesus rejects them. No matter their religious credentials, no matter... Um, what the people think of them, they are, in fact, not part of the kingdom. And sometime later, in verse 15, Peter 
uh, in privacy with the disciples around Jesus, they asked him to explain the parable that he said earlier. And then Jesus says, Are you still so dumb? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? See, they were so concerned about you know, something touching the fruit and then you know, if it was unwashed, they eat it and then you know, that, that unclean thing makes them unclean. But what's the reality? The reality is yam, tam, bam. That's the shortest poem I know. Yam, tam, bam. That's the reality. So don't have to be concerned with what goes in. Because it will come out. But verse 14, Jesus says, But the things that come out of a person's mouth, uh, those things come from the heart, and these defile them. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. See, Jesus saying it is not a matter of what you eat. Yes, it is right to be concerned of what makes you clean, what makes you unclean. But the reality, it is not what you eat that makes you unclean. It is who you are. It is who you are in your hearts. You see, the evil that we, that we display, the evil thoughts, the evil words, our evil actions, these things are not a product of our circumstances. Because if you are carrying a container, and that container is full of foul-smelling liquid, and someone bumps into you, Okay, that foul-smelling liquid will come out. But the reason foul-smelling liquid came out is because there was foul-smelling liquid in the container to begin with. The bumping was just a circumstance. It came out because that was what was in it. So it is very tempting to want to deal with the externals because those things we can control, oh yes, don't eat this, don't touch this, oh, you know, do quiet time 30 minutes a day, those things we can control. But Jesus is putting his finger on the real issue, and that is our hearts are rotten. Our hearts are bad. And that is why these uh, Pharisees, religious leaders, in spite of their great attention to the externals, because their hearts were evil and, and, and bad and black. They are rejected. The clean are rejected. Now thankfully the story does not end there because Matthew goes on to record for us how Jesus leaves Galilee. Okay, so that's his last big thing in Galilee. And instead of heading, heading to Jerusalem, he goes up north a little bit and he goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And we are told a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now it's very interesting that Matthew uses this term, Canaanite. I wonder whether you uh, noticed it in our first Bible reading. In the uh, prophecy of Zechariah, talking about how the nations will turn, you know, but at the end, it says, there will no longer be a Canaanite. Ah, why? Because these Canaanites are enemies. 
They are the traditional, historical enemies of God. And so, such a person from that background is now coming to Jesus and calling out to Jesus, Lord, Son of David. See, she recognizes to an extent who he is. That he is this son of David. What is the son of David? The son of David is the king that will come from David's line who will wipe out all of God's enemies. And so this is the Canaanite who is the historical enemy of God's people coming to the son of David, the one who is prophesied, who is supposed to wipe out enemies of God. And she comes to him. Can you see that that who she is and who he is, there can be no greater uh, distance between them. And yet she comes. And she comes because she is desperate. You know, some people have said, you know, there are cowards and there are normal people and there are heroes. And then there are parents. And this is a parent who is coming and she knows that her daughter is, is, is in this state and, and for whatever reason she knows that Jesus is able to help. And she comes and she cries on Jesus to help. Now, Jesus didn't answer, but his disciples came and said, Hey, you know, send her away. I mean, do something, right? Because you've got to imagine, right, uh, you know, K-drama, you know, the, those Ajumas, and when they really get into it, you know, the crying, and you know, you, 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 you know, you're walking to the kitchen, getting a drink, and then you just stop and you just watch. You know, like, you don't know the story, but then you just, on the way you watch, and then you see it, and then you like, you also get... Also get teary eye. Okay, that's how that's how powerful the crying is, one. Okay, so you got to imagine this sort of powerful crying, except that it's real, lah. Okay, it's not it's not acting. And then the disciples have enough, and they say, "Hey, Jesus, you know, do something." And his answer is in verse twenty-four: "I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel." Now Jesus there is stating a truth. That in his ministry, what he has taught the disciples, that in this period of time, in this stage of the ministry, the focus, the priority is to be to Israel. Now we know that later on, yes, the disciples will be sent out. But for now, the focus, the priority is to the Lordship. And so Jesus states this truth. Okay? But the woman is undeterred. She comes and she continues uh, begging, Lord, help me, she said. And then in verse 26, Jesus says something very strange. He says, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now you come and you see and you hear Jesus saying this and it's like, ouch, I mean like so politically incorrect, right? Dogs, you know, calling this woman and where she's coming from, and you're, you're dogs, and it's not right to take the children's bread. And so, you know, some people can get tripped up about how, you know, mean or how racist, you know, Jesus is. But what Jesus is doing, we've seen from the first episode that he's, he's, he likes to tell parables. Now, what he says to the woman here is also a parable. 
And in this parable, there is both a challenge and an offer. And the woman recognizes the truth of the parable. She accepts the challenge of the parable and she accepts the offer of the parable. Because she says, yes, it is, Lord. Because even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She is recognizing the truth of uh, what Jesus said, that yes, there is a priority that he has come, come first to the people of God. And in a sense, that is what is promised. The, the, the people of God, the Israelites, they have been given these promises. They, they expect that the son of David will come and will fulfill these promises to them. But for her as a Canaanite, she has no rights. She comes... And she, she, there's, there's, no, there's no right, there's nothing that she can hold on to. She recognizes that she has nothing. Uh, she does not deserve Jesus to help her. And so she's able to respond from within the parable and say to Jesus, Yes, I am not a child. But even the crumbs, the crumbs that fall down, the dogs can eat. And so Jesus goes, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Now this is astounding because to the disciples who have been following Jesus, you know, in the last chapter, they've seen all these miracles and then Jesus says to them, Oh, you of little faith. But this, to this woman, she says, he says, you have great faith. And she has great faith because she's able to see that even though she does not deserve anything from Jesus, she knows that Jesus, because of who he is, he is good enough, he is great enough that she can even get some crumbs and that will be more than enough for her. See, what is, what is great faith? I, I just came across this illustration. Great faith is, you know, you're walking on uh, the ice and then as you're crossing the ice, you hear the crack sound. But you really want to get across. Okay, so... You start crawling because you, you spread the weight, right? So you, instead of the, you know, so you, but you, so you spread the weight so that, you know, you, you won't fall into the ice, you won't fall into the, the freezing cold water, and then you're, you're, you're reaching the end, and as you're getting to the end, this jeep comes. A local driver in his jeep, he comes, he goes, and then he changes gear, and with his jeep, he crosses the same ice. Because he's a local, he knows that the ice is strong. Now, in one sense, both you and the driver expressed faith in the ice because you were getting across. Only thing about you is that you had little faith. That's why you spread your body thin and you were going, going like that. But the driver had great faith. See, we were all putting our faith in the ice. But the driver saw clearly, knew well that the ice could take it. So Jesus commends this woman. Yes, you... Though, even though you are Canaanite, even though you, you, know, I, you have great faith because you see clearly who I am, that I am able, even with the crumbs, fulfill your need and feed you. Now Matthew goes on to record uh, the feeding of the 4,000 because he wants us to know that it is not just with crumbs that Jesus has for the Gentiles. Now this account 
in uh, the rest of chapter 15 sounds a lot like the feeding of the 5,000. And some people may say, oh, actually it's just one account, uh, but you know, Matthew, Mark, you know, they, they got, they got um, confused, and so they, they tell it in two stories. But actually it's very different. The location is different. They are in Gentile territory. And the, the reaction of the people after Jesus heals them in verse 31 is they praised the God of Israel. So this is clearly Gentiles who have been healed because Jewish people would never say it like that. Jewish people would just say, we praise God. But clearly these are Gentiles and they praise the God of Israel. And obviously the, the number of loaves and fish, you know, uh, no longer did they take it from the happy meal of that young boy. This time it's the, the, from the disciples' own pockets that they have seven loaves and a few fish. And this is multiplied not to feed 5,000, but 4,000 men and the women and children. And one more thing that is different is uh, the, the Greek word that Matthew uses for baskets. In chapter 14, the Greek word that he uses is a Jewish basket. But here the word that is used is a Gentile basket. So all these clues tell us that the feeding of the 4,000 is a separate occasion, separate incident. And just as the feeding of the 5,000 was meant to show Jesus as Messiah, Savior for the Jewish people, and the number of uh, leftover collected were 12 baskets. Why 12? Because 12 is a number that represents the people of God. And then here, the, the son of David, feeding the Gentile crowd, telling very clearly that he has come also to save Gentiles. And the number of baskets collected? Seven. Why seven? The seven is the Jewish number for completeness. So that the Gentiles are also meant to be included until it is completed. So God has a purpose. Jesus has come not just for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentile. And the question that can be asked is, why? Why is it if our hearts are so unclean? If from our hearts spring forth this, so that the Jewish people who are so devoted, you know, keeping all these laws, they are rejected. How is it that Gentile people's dirty dogs can be accepted and can be part of the kingdom? I want to share with you a testimony from a Japanese Christian. And in this testimony, the Japanese Christian says, I am grateful for Shinto, for Buddhism, for Confucianism. I, I, I owe much to these faiths. You know, the fact that I have this reverence in life, that I have uh, uh, a craving for values, I owe it all to these faiths that I was brought up with. But yet these three faiths utterly failed to minister to my heart's deepest need. Because I realized I was a pilgrim on a long, long road that led to no turning. I was weary. I was footsore. I found myself wandering through a dark and dismal world where tragedies were thick. Now, Buddhism teaches great compassion. But since the beginning of time, there is only one who has declared, this is my blood of the covenant. 
which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, what this Japanese Christian is alluding to is all other faiths, they give us advice, they give us rules to follow, but there is only one, one faith. There is only one Savior who has shed his blood and because his blood was shed, he can deal with the deepest, blackest problem of our hearts. That's why even the unclean can be accepted. That is why the clean who do not come to him and have their hearts cleansed are rejected. And so you know how the Gospel of Matthew ends? It ends with after Jesus was raised up. After he had done the work of shedding his blood, for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. He calls his disciples and calls them to go to the nations. Because now that this work is done, this blood has been shed. I mean, I was, I was so moved when uh, we sang the, the song of Jesus being declared Son of God. Yes, that this, this, this is the Son of God who has come and by his blood has redeemed us. This is God saving us. And so if you are someone who has put your trust in Jesus, that work in your heart has started. Jesus has cleansed your filthy, evil, blackened heart. And that is why you can now be able to honestly pursue him, honor him. You don't have to play around with the external things, fool around just, just with the, the external things of religion. No, you can press in. Because of what Jesus has done in cleansing our hearts, we can actually approach God, we can actually pursue God and not find a God who will, okay, no, no, away from me. I mean, you did that, you're like this, oh no, no, I can't accept you. No, we can, we can, we can push in. We can come before God. So don't play around with the external things. Push in. And if God has cleansed our hearts, given us a new heart, may I ask, how are we tending our hearts? How are we caring for our hearts? What are we feeding our hearts? This heart that God has now, you know, by the blood of Christ, made alive, made clean filling it with distractions, nonsense, Netflix. No, how are we tending the heart so that we can keep focus, honour God, pursue Him? May God help us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.